Okay, Pioneer Church Plant. As I said, Beth and I moved in among the Teddies in late 1979, uh, building an airship, learning their language. Uh, finally, we got into language study completely in late 1980. And uh, like I said, gone from her days, weeks at a time, uh, so I could learn to speak their language. Um, we were becoming, finally, we were probably about 1982, becoming part of the village fabric of life. Uh, when there were funerals, we were there. When there were births, she was there, uh, just observing and being a part of everything that was happening. And we were over in the uh, village uh, one day, it was uh, late 1982, and an old fella had died. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I'm there observing, always taking notes, always taking notes so I could learn their culture as well as their language. And this one little kid, his name is Baume. Baume comes up to me, and he's about eight years old, but he's a really sharp kid. Baume says this to me. He looks me right in the eye, which is very uncharacteristic for any teddy. They're generally looking like this as they talk to you. He looks me right in the eye. He says, what are you guys really doing here? And I knew what he wanted, but I, did, I, I just wasn't fluent enough to give him the answer that he wanted. And, and so I was stumbling around. And finally, all I could say was, well, bow, we're not here to build an airship. Bow, bow me. Yeah. Uh, we're not here to build an airship. We had done that, but that's not why we're here. Uh, in fact, we're uh, not even here to do medical work. Beth was doing medical work every single day. That's not why we're here. In fact, bow, we're not even here just to learn your language, which was really what they thought we were there to do, because that's what they saw us expending all of our energy on. We're not even here just to learn your language. Well, what are you here for? I don't even know how to tell you. I don't even know how to tell From that point on, and you need to understand that Teddy's only got philosophical when somebody died. For the most part, they were just trying to keep body and soul together. It's a, such a hard climate and the ecosystem to live in. Uh, that was the, the high proportion, almost the total dominant thing on their mind, except when somebody died and there'd be a mandatory few days, nearly a week of mourning. And during that week of mourning, they would begin to ponder bigger questions. And so, so from that point on, every time somebody died, there would be one or two or more that would ask me, can you tell us now why you're here? And I was working hard because you step into that realm of answering spiritual questions, introducing spiritual thoughts, you better have it right. You don't want to have to be undoing later on something that you have introduced. And so finally, late 1984, another old guy, his name was Ebenui, he died, and uh, <clears throat> we're over there, and I had, I was ready. And sure enough, uh, after the, you know, the body gets covered up, uh, three young guys come up to me, and uh, they say, can you tell us now? I said, I can, but I'm not going to tell you guys, because they're all from the same clan. And uh, like a bunch of junior hires, which at times they tended to act like, they, they would get information from us. And we know and you don't know. We know and you don't know. And they'd create schisms in the tribe and a lot of issues. And so I said, I'm not going to tell you three guys uh, <clears throat> alone. Get somebody from every clan. And when somebody from every clan is here, then I'll tell you all at the same time. And I thought that, that that afternoon they'd gather a group together. Then I'd sit down with them all and tell them why. Uh, because during a mandatory period of mourning, you can't make loud noises. But they were very uh, culturally inappropriate. Come on, come on, come on. He's going to tell us. Come on, come on. And they're shouting it throughout. The, He's going to tell us. Come on, come on. I didn't know that it was that big of a buzz issue. And so there's like <clears throat> 10 of these guys standing there. And I said, and I had this all ready, not written scripted, but I had it ready. And this was not hard to deliver. I said, okay, you guys want to know why we're here? Here's why we're here. We know where Ibenui went when he died. We know where he is right now. We know what he's going through. We know where your mothers and fathers went when they died. We know what they're going through. We know where your children went when they died. 65% mortality rate. We know what they're going through. We know where you're going to go when you die. We know what you're going to go through. 
We know the name of the one who's made everything that you can see and everything you can't see. We know his name and we know what he wants out of you. That's what we've come here to tell you about. <sighs> Literally. Silence. Not a peeve. They turn, they turn their back on me and they start mumbling. <laughs> 10, 15 seconds later, they turn back, they look at me, they say, Brad, if that's really true, if you know those things, what we want you to do is lay down right here, open your mouth, and we're going to take turns walking by you, spitting into your mouth, and that will enable you to learn our language even faster. <laughs> that had issues, okay? <laughs> and uh, they, they could tell I wasn't quick on the uptake. And, uh, and so they said, okay, okay, if you won't do that, then no more breaks, because every six months, we'd fly out of there. And we'd go to the town of Weewack, and we'd turn on light switches and call our folks and do really, really civilized things. And that no more that you're staying here till you tell us. And we were, honestly, we were excited. And we'd been praying, God, give them a hunger for this. And obviously, man, there was a hunger for this. And so we agreed to that. It wasn't going to be that much longer anyway. Um, they knew there was, uh, that the organization that we were with uh, had a pretty serious uh, list of questions. They didn't know they were culture and hearing. and they, didn't know, they just knew that two guys would fly in there every few months to evaluate me. And I had one more series of checks to go through. And sure enough, in late May of 1985, two guys named Bob Kennel and George Walker come flying in. And they're going to evaluate my understanding of the culture, my understanding of the language, my hearing ability, my speaking ability. And uh, we're going through the battery of tests. It took about three days. And finally, we're, we're wrapping up and going through the results of the evaluations. We got Bob sitting over here in my little teeny language house. Bob sitting here. George sitting here. Yes, yay. My number one language helper sitting here. We're doing this all in Melanesian. So yes, yay can understand everything. And I'm sitting here. And we're going through the results. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we're getting into the weeds with it. You know, yes, he's kind of bored. And uh, there's this noise out there on the steps of the language shed. And, uh, man, I look out there, there's like five, six guys standing there, and they're getting louder and louder. Hey, hey guys, can you, can you keep it quiet? We're trying to work in there. Oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Got back to work some more, going through the results, da, da, da. A couple of minutes later, it's getting louder, and there's like 10, 11 guys out there. And, guys, can you, can you keep it down? We're really trying to work in there. It's not that big of a shed, so we really needed the quietness. And uh, a few more minutes, and uh, I turn out there, I don't know how many guys, 15, 16, 17, <laughs> You can't count. And they have achieved critical mass by this time. They're not going to be kept quiet. They are involved in this process. And they're standing there. And I'm trying to quiet them. No, 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 no. Hey, Brad, what are they saying? Brad, do they think you know our language? Brad, are they going to let you teach us? Brad, do we need to come in there and make blood come out of their nose and their eyes? <clears throat> Bob and George are like, uh, what are they saying? Well, basically, it's not good for you if you don't pass me. Okay. <clears throat> So they gave me the go-ahead. Uh, we let the Teddies know how long it would be. I had to do some translation, get Genesis 1 through 6 translated, get my first Bible lessons translated, be sure I wasn't teaching heresy, wasn't teaching too fast, too slow. All that had to be checked. It'd be about three months before I could actually start teaching the Teddy people. We notched <clears throat> in a tree. Uh, we knotted some, a vine up for them. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, the day gets closer. And finally, uh, we, we asked the Teddies, where do you, where do you want to have the teaching uh, take place? And uh, right here in the middle, they had to tear down some of the houses. They, it had to be equidistant from every clan there. And we put up a big tarp in the middle of the village. They drug in some stumps and logs. And I put up a little easel. We had a tarp there. And the day came. First Monday in October, I believe, or September 1985, we're going to begin teaching the Teddy people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do you start? 
They never heard of the Bible. They never heard of Jesus, never heard of heaven, hell. They were animistic people, completely at the behest of about 40 main spirits. And I'd had to learn every one of those and how they interacted with them. And uh, so where are you going to start? Well, the first thing we felt we needed to do was to be honest with them. Uh, we'd lived among them now for over six years. And we'd heard the, the rumors flying around the village. One of the rumors went like this. If we listen to the missionaries talk, the sky will open up and food will rain down on us from the sky. So guys, we've heard that rumor and that's absolutely not true. If any of you are waiting for food to rain down on you, you're going to be really disappointed. So just know that from the outset. Another rumor. If we listen to the missionaries talk, all the bugs, the mosquitoes, the leeches, the snakes, everything that bites us is going to stop biting us. No, no, that's not true either. Everything that bites you now is going to be biting you in a few months. So don't hold your breath. No animals are going away. Another one was this. <clears throat> if we listen to the missionaries talk, all of our skin will turn white like Brad's. No, 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 no. Nobody's skin changing skin colors around here. Whatever you start with. And they don't have black, white. They got a variety of hues in there, okay? And uh, so just we started with the first 15 minutes just shooting down rumors. And we felt we needed to do that because you have a flawed foundation. Everything on top of it's going to tip over. If their motivations aren't in some way, if we haven't at least tried to have an honest set of motivations to come to listen to this thing, you're building on sinking sand. So we took about 15 minutes for that. Another, the next thing that we felt like we had to do was introduce the concept of books. And we had a pile of encyclopedias, biographies, novels, Good Housekeeping, Surfer Magazine. We had a bunch of books there. And we explained. People have ideas. People want to tell you a story about a guy who lived, a battle that happened, something that you can learn to do with you know, various things. And that's how books, men have ideas, and they write them down. And then guys like me, we pay money to buy those books so that I can learn about places I've never been to before. It's really fun to learn about stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever, except for this book. We began the process of explaining the uniqueness and the inspiration of the scriptures. This does not have the ideas of men in it. The creator one decided that he would allow men of the ground to write down his ideas. There are no men's ideas in here. We know about the creator one because of this book here. And we began the process of teaching them about inspiration and the uniqueness of scripture. From the very first day, this would become the authority. We would build on that and build on that and build on that. That took another 15 minutes. Next thing that we had to do was <clears throat> introduce the main character, obviously. And uh, up until this point in time, we talked about the creator one, the creator one. Uh, now we're going to tell you his name. The name of the creator one is Goyave, transliteration of the term Jehovah God. Today, we're going to tell you just three basic things about Goyave. We're going to tell you hundreds more. But today, just so you have a, an idea of how unique he is, you guys have many spirits. You've never heard of one like Goyave. And they're eager. They're really eager. First thing about Goyave you need to know, he is spirit and spirit alone. He's never turned into a dog, a pig, a waterfall, a mountain. A, 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 what a, Animate, inanimate. He's, he's spirit and spirit alone. They're like, what? Their spirits are all changelings. They're turning into dogs and pigs and trees and waterfalls and clouds and, you know, pigs. and things. Their spirits are always changing. Not Goyawi. He's never changed into anything other than himself. He's spirit and spirit alone. No pushback. No pushback, but just like, wow, I've never heard anything like that. You can see the look on their face. Next thing you need to know about Goyawi is this. He needs no food. He eats no food. What? Now they're pushing back. What are you talking about? Our spirits have appetites that never end. You know the things our spirits do. They come to our gardens. They tear up all the yams. They tear up all the cow cow. They tear up all this. They turn into magic dogs. They fly up into our food racks and they eat the meat out of the food racks. And they're, they're I mean, <clears throat> they're not yelling, but they're pushing back loud. Guys, I know all that stuff about your spirits. Not Goyabi. 
He's never needed food. He's never eaten food. He's spirit and spirit alone. That's not him. Blah, 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 blah. Another thing about Goyabe. He's never raped a woman. He's never raped a girl. He's never done this, 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 or this. And rape is just the tip of the iceberg. <clears throat> what you haven't <clears throat> heard until now. The Teddies were serial rapists. When a girl became about eight years old, she became public property. She'd be raped at will while she was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. When she got to be about 12 or 13, she'd be taken off as a mercy move uh, to be somebody's wife. And they put the majority of that at the feet of the spirits. When I said that, that Goyavi has never raped a woman, never raped a girl, the place exploded. What are you talking about? The appetites the spirits have for our women are unending. That's why we do the things that we do to the girls, because of the spirits. They come into us. That's why, that's why, that's why. The blame shifting all over the place. Guys, I know that about your spirits, and I sure know that about you guys. Not Goyavi, he's different. Oh, man, the place was just bubbling, boiling at that point there. We had deliberately chosen those things because we wanted to hook their attention He's different than anything you know about. And we surely hooked their attention. <clears throat> that was all we said about Goyami that, that first day. The next thing that we, the next topic, individual that we had to introduce was Asotamo. Guys, your fathers have taught you about Asotamo as much as they knew about Asotamo. But there's a whole backstory to Asotamo that you have never heard of. Initially, his name was Lucifer. Goyave made him. We explained the story from Isaiah and Ezekiel. We didn't say the books, but all that amalgamated story of him being lifted up with pride, cast out of heaven, third of the stars of the sky, <clears throat> man, at odds with God, uh, father of death, hates God, hates all that God has made. Uh, we took about 15 minutes explaining Asotama. The reason that we did that, because once we got into the narrative of Genesis chapter 3, we didn't want to stop and introduce a key component. We wanted the story to be able to flow, and so we felt like that was important to introduce on that day there. Took about an hour and 12 minutes to get all that across. And the people who asked us, uh, have you ever seen a miracle happen among the Teddies? We saw a miracle that very first day. These guys that had the attention span of a gnat sat there. They used to tell us in the years previous to this, we're going to have an all-night village meeting. We're going to have an all-day village meeting. I'd always be there. And after a while, I started timing them. They never had a village meeting that lasted longer than eight minutes. Before it started to break up. I mean, they'd be, the attention span of a gnat. Seriously, and I'm terrified. How are we going to get these guys to sit and listen to this incredibly detailed message? And, you know, we talk about God's simple plan of salvation. Yeah, the last step is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. But what you need to know about him, what we need to know about our lostness, what we need to know about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, nothing simple about that, folks. So the teaching that would precede that last step to believe on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, we knew it would take a lot of teaching. So <clears throat> God did a miracle that first day. They sat there for an hour and 12 minutes, fixated, listening, listening. Man, what a miracle. Okay, now, I debated this back and forth <laughs> um, as to whether I should tell this. I'm going to tell you this component. In late 1984, uh, while we were still, in, not in the middle, but toward the end, <coughs> of learning their language and culture, um, I was able to do uh, much deeper dives into uh, the stories, the narrations, and some of the things that I observed and some of the uh, little, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, tapes, uh, things that I had laid down on tape. And there was this uh, term that continued to come up that I could not figure out what it was. And the, the term was wayno. Wayno to fai, wayno to watano, wayno to ti, wayno to yo, wayno to fiba, wayno to, you know, go, it just went on endlessly. And uh, so I gathered this term wayno, is it a pause word? Every language has pause words, whatever, you know, those, you know, without real meaning. And sometimes they can be significant and they're just hidden in plain sight. 
And so I uh, gathered some of the older guys in. I played them some of the tapes. I read some of the transcriptions. And uh, they, they listened to me, and they listened to the tapes for about 10 minutes, and then they started looking at each other. And there was this weird thing going on between these three older men. And finally, I got done. It took me maybe 15 minutes to play and read everything I had. And uh, they look at each other, and it's like, who should tell them? And uh, finally, they said, you don't know about the Waynos? No. What are the Waynos? We'd lived there for four years among them, doing language and culture study, and I didn't know what the Waynos were. And they took the next two hours to explain to me what the Waynos were. The Waynos were a supernatural race of people. They lived on Itedi territory. They looked like Itedis. They spoke Itedi language, but they broke the laws of nature all the time. They could turn water into blood. They could turn day into night. They could turn leaves into locusts. They could turn crocodiles into flying crocodiles that would fly across the mountain ranges, eat up the young girls of another tribe, swallow them, bring them back across the ranges, spit them out, and that way the Itedis could get an endless supply of young girls. The Waynos could make and break the laws of nature as they wanted. As they're telling me these stories, probably like you're, you're figuring out, wow, that's really close to Genesis and Exodus. We realized that day, if we got into teaching the story of Genesis and Exodus and had not known about the Waynos, within a very few weeks, they'd have been saying, wait a second, we've got Wayno stories, missionary has Wayno stories. It's all just Wayno stories. We all know it's not real. This book would have been relegated to Grimm's fairy tales because we didn't know that. Over four years of language and culture study, only dead did we find out about it. Folks, I'll say this for the record. I'll say it and I'll shout it if I need to. Learning the language and culture at a deeply fluent level isn't a good idea if you have time. It's mandatory. If we're going to see the gospel clearly communicated, we must know their language. We must know their culture fluently. So we realized that day, as Ed and I talked about it, as my partner uh, realized, oh my gosh. And uh, there's a few ways to do this. We cho- what we needed to do is to ground this book in its time and space historical reality. It's not just a bunch of disrelated stories floating around in the universe. It actually happened. It actually ha- happened on planet Earth. Well, how do we do that? These guys can't even hold a pencil. Most of them had not even been to WeWack. They had no idea of how big the world was and where this stuff took place. And so we realized we're going to have to take some days and teach them how to read a map. And so we embarked on that. The first day I've already given, and I'm not going to give you every day, don't worry. But the second day of our teaching, what we had done, we had drawn a map about three foot by four foot of everything that was in the locally tended territory. Here's the airstrip. Here's the river. Here's our houses. Here's the village over here. Here's the tractor house. Here's the swamps down here. Here's the big rainforest up here. And we drew everything to scale. I mean, we really took some time with it. And I said, now, guys, this is what's called a map. And if I was a bird, if you were a bird flying overhead, you could look down and you could see everything there. Here's the river, all blue of the river. Here's the airship, all green. Here's all the houses. All the houses were perfectly positioned. <clears throat> Can you see that? No, we can't see that. We don't have eyes like you. We have different eyes. Seriously. <clears throat> okay, let's look at it again. <laughs> Went through the whole thing again and again and again. About 35 minutes into it. It's kind of like, you know, where's Waldo? Okay, 35 minutes into it. Young guy over here, his name is Tabuggy. Tabuggy, he looks at me and he says, I get it, I get it, I can see it. I was hoping he was right. I said, Tabuggy, okay, if you really understand how to read the map, come on up here and show us where your house is. Now he's been called out publicly. He is a 17-year-old kid. He is sharp. And so Tabuggy comes walking up toward them. And he's nervous. You can tell he's nervous. 
but he put his finger down right on his house. I said, to Buggy, that's awesome. You got it. What about Foe's house? He goes to Foe's house. What about Enoch's house? What about Neve's house? What about Sabe? And he's, he's crushing it. He's killing it. And people are starting to stand up. Then they start rushing toward the map. And that was the end of the first. They learned how to read a map of their village that first day. Man, Tabuggy was the anointed rocket scientist of the tribe, okay? And they're loving it. They have figured out how to read a map. This is awesome stuff for them. Whew, okay, great. <clears throat> Not the point at all. Next day, we had another map, a map of a much larger area. We had the May River airship. We had the Ama airship. We had the Iteti airship. We had all the rivers and streams and trails drawn in, the mountains drawn into scale. We said, now, guys, that same bird that was flying overhead yesterday, if he was to fly much, much higher, this is what he'd be able to look down and see. Do you see this? Here's Iteti over here. Here's May River over here. Here's Ama over here. Here's a trail here. Here's the swamps here. Here's Uau village over here. Can you see that? No, we can't see that. Yesterday's map was easy. Today's map is hard. We can't see that. We, can, we don't have eyes like you. Blah, 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 blah. Same guy, about 30 minutes into it. Tabuggy, I get it. I get it. He stands up. Come on, Tabuggy. If you really know how to read that map, come on up here and show me how you would hike from Iteti to Ama. Because they would do that pretty commonly. He's walking up. And he says this. He says, Brad, you're trying to trick me. And I wasn't trying to trick him, but it is a tricky question. He says, well, you don't hike straight from Iteti to Ama. You go around the Iteti mountain. You go down the waterfall trail. You go over the sunup trail. Then you come up the sundown trail. Boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. He crushed it. And again, now he's just like, he's got a strut. Okay. By this time here. <laughs> I said, now guys, keep this in mind. On the, on the map, from my fingertips to my shoulder, that's how far it is from Iteti to Ama. How long would it take for you guys to walk? Oh, two days, three days if the old people are with us, okay? That's right. Things on the map may look close together, but they're actually far, far apart. Oh, we have things in our heads too. We can learn. Guys, this is all pointless, okay? Except for the end goal, and I'll, we'll get there. But please keep in mind, with this... And with what missionaries are supposed to be doing, we're not there to do evangelism. We're there to plant a church. There's a gigantic difference. And evangelism is a very important part of it. But we're there preparing them for the day when we will not be there. And they can defend this book. They know the origins of this book. They have enough background to when the cults do come in, the church can stand strong. <clears throat> that was the second day's map. Third day's map, we had a map of all of Papua New Guinea. And uh, we said, guys, all the ground that's Papua New Guinea, this is where it is. Here's Port Moresby, way down here. They'd heard of Port Moresby. <laughs> They've never been there before. But people don't age in Port Moresby. They don't die in Port Moresby. People have all the food you can have, you could ever want in Port Moresby. Port Moresby is like Shangri-La. Here's Port Moresby. And there's it. Ooh, in Port Moresby. <clears throat> here's Ley. They'd heard of that. Ooh, here's Rabal over here. Uh, here's Madang. Uh, here's Garoka, where our kids went to school at times. Uh, here's Vanimo. Here's Wewak, the closest big town to them. And some of our guys had hiked out to Wewak. And so they know where Wewak is. They know that, that we're in the ballpark here. And I just kind of let it hang there. And I said, oh, would, would you like to know where Eteddy is? Yes, yes, where are we? Where are we? Okay, here's Wewak. And right down here, that's where you guys are. That's Eteddy right there. And the place went crazy. No effing way. If this is, and I'm scrubbing my language for your tender ears. <clears throat> the Teddies have colorful language, body parts you can't even conceive of, okay? 
No, I think, wait, if this is true, Papua New Guinea must be the biggest country in the world. Yeah, you're a big country. Okay. Now, keep in mind, on the map, on the map, and I asked one of the guys I knew had been to Wewak. I said, Fo, if you were to hike from Iteti to Wewak, how long would it take you? Oh, my son, my son. Men were not even meant to walk that far. Our legs would turn to bloody stumps. There's no way you could walk from Iteti to Wewak. I said, that's right. But on the map, from my fingertips to my wrist, that's how far it is from Wewak to Iteti. Keep in mind, things on the map look close together. They're far. Oh, we get it. We get it. We get it. <clears throat> Pointless, except for the fourth day. We had a map of the whole world. Map of the whole world. <clears throat> we said, now, first off, um, anybody know where Papua New Guinea is? <laughs> the buggy comes up to buggy. Yeah, I know. I know. He's like I said, man, he's a rocket scientist. He comes up and he's got this full on Southern California strut by now. He's walking up shoulder. And he literally takes his hand and he smashes it down on Russia, Asia, the biggest landmass. And the old guys by now are hating him. He's gotten so cocky and he's like, I'm so sharp. And so I said just loud enough for the old guys to hear uh, to buggy. I'm sorry. You got it wrong. <laughs> They're all like, yes. <clears throat> Do you have any other ideas? Uh, over here, America, Canada. No, no, no. not South America, Africa, Australia. He, he just, Tabagi, you're embarrassing everybody. Why don't, you, why don't you go sit down? So he skulks back and sits down. Uh, anybody else have any ideas? We're popping in Guineas. They're, they're like, oh, man, if Tabagi can't get it, there's no way we can get it. I said, okay, you want to know where popping in Guineas? It's right down here. This little teeny tiny dot of an island down here, that's Papua New Guinea. No effing way. Yesterday you told us we're a big country. Now you're telling us we're... I never said you're a big country. <laughs> never said that. That's where you are. That's where you are. So that's all background just so that they could get the picture of how big this thing is. Now, the point of the story. When Goyave wanted to give his message to people of the ground... Who do you think he gave it to? Well, they start guessing. Well, the Russia-China people, they're the biggest. No, I didn't give it to them. Ah, oh, literally. Ah, oh, ah, oh, what were we thinking? He gave it to the America-Canada people. No, I didn't give it to them either. Guessing all around. <clears throat> I said, no, guys, when he gave it to the people of the ground, he gave it to these guys, right? And thankfully, it was right there on the map, right here in the middle. The Islamos, he gave it to them. They're the ones who wrote these stories down. They're the ones who first had knowledge of Goyave. And from there, it went this way, and it went this way, and it went this way. And hundreds of years after it came up to here in Europe, some men and women brought it over to, here to America. Hundreds years of years after that, it came down here to the coast of Papua New Guinea. And about 100 years after that, it's coming into you, you guys. It's not the Americans' message. It's not the Canadians. It's not the Africans. It's not the Chinese. It's not the Australians. It's the people of Israel's message, but it's true. And that's why men and women have carried it all over the planet. And that's why we're bringing it into you guys, because it is true. Guys, that was important for us to get us, us out of the crosshairs. It's not a message, a contest between my forefathers' understanding and theirs. This is the God of heaven who gave it to them. We're all getting it secondhand. <clears throat> it was worth that time. And for them to know it actually took place on the same planet. We're, of course, showing them pictures of these different peoples that we're talking about doing a lot of geography lessons so that the day <clears throat> they, the, when the cults began to come in, they, they would have a high confidence in the word of God. Okay, so that was all preparation for Genesis 1-1. Now, the second week, we're going to get into Genesis 1-1. The principles that guided us, uh, one is very well known. We were going to teach them chronologically. As God portrayed himself, <clears throat> story after story after story, as God uh, revealed himself. And God, nowhere in the book of Genesis does God say, I'm holy, I'm just, I'm kind, I'm omnipotent. 
He shows us all those things and many, many other attributes. We're going to teach the story of God in the same way that he revealed it. That's commonly understood. The second critical component, we're going to teach the story chronologically. We're going to teach it comparatively. This is what your father's taught you. This is what God's word says. You choose. Now, there's a couple dangers with that. And uh, they might be obvious. I'll float two of them in particular. One is this. They better know I love their dads. I'm not mocking their dads. I'm not putting their dads down. Those years of hiking, hunting, traveling, living, eating, starving with their dads on the trail, crying over their father's graves, living among them, there was no doubt in their mind, Brad loved our dads. This is not a put down. That had to be clearly established. And so those were not wasted years in learning their language and culture. Man, the relationships that we had enabled us to teach comparatively. The other thing is, I needed to know their story so well that when I said, this is what your father's taught you, they could say, yeah, that's fair. I'm not setting up a straw man and knocking down some weird version of what was communicated. I actually knew those stories. That's really, really critical. So with those two things in place, I had translated Genesis 1 through 6, and I read the events of day number one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was formless and without void. The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. He made morning and evening, day and night, and it was good. And I read it again slowly to them. And second, the first time, they're just going, whoa. Second time, they really hear you. And I could see them kind of looking out of the corner. Because we've got a contest going on right away. We've got a contest. Because everybody knows that when Omo first made the world, there was no morning, there was no evening, there was no day, there was no night. He took the sun, which he made before he made the world, and he pinned the sun to the roof. And there was no movement. And the earth was blast furnace hot. The first generations of Etedes could not go to the riverbank where the food is good. They could not go into the river and get the fish. They had to live in the deepest, darkest parts of the jungle where the water, the seep water is warmer, where their food is bland. They hated it. <clears throat> and so the scene is set. I said, with that in place, why do you think Goyave would make morning and evening, day and night? From the very beginning. Because they love the mornings. They love the evenings. It's cooler. They get more work done. The hot part of the day, they can't get that much done. Why do you think, oh, yeah, we would make morning, evening, day, and night? Think about that. And, you know, here, if you, if you pose a question like that, you have to say, now, break up in groups of five or six. Yeah. You don't need to do that. They just start, blah, blah, blah. They turn it. They just, blah, 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 blah. And uh, about 10 minutes later, and I'm just like, man, life's too short for this. But you got to let them <clears throat> interact. You want them thinking. And after about 10 minutes, uh, the, the discussions died down. They started saying, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> then no answer. Why would Goyave make it morning? And uh, so I said, well, what about this? Is it possible that Goyave was tired of getting offerings from out of the deep, dark part of the jungle where the offerings are bland, and he wanted to get spicy, more flavorful offerings that grow on the river? Is that a possibility? Blah, 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 another 10 minutes. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, yes, that makes total sense because if we give God, our spirits bad offerings, we get sick, our kids get sick, we shoot a pig, it doesn't die, blah, blah. I said, guys, guys, guys you remember? Remember the first day we talked about this? Goyabe doesn't need food. He doesn't eat food. Oh, that's right. That's right. What about this? Is it, what do you think about this? Is it possible that maybe Goyabe wanted to get down into the washing holes like all their spirits do in the evening and wash the sweat off of his body and thus he made it morning and evening so he could get down into the washing holes? Is that a possibility? <gasps> few minutes into it. Yes, yes, yes. We all know what happens if we're in the spirit washing holes. They need to wash off too, man. They have to go to sleep and their spirits sleep. <clears throat> with sweat on their bodies, blah, 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 blah. Guys, remember, remember? Go Yahweh, spirit and spirit alone. He doesn't sweat. Oh, that's right. 
I kid you folks not, we ran them down rabbit trail after rabbit trail after rabbit trail for over two days. Finally, I was, I just, I was wore out. So guys, would you like me to tell you why go Yahweh made up morning and evening, day and night from the very beginning? Yes, we'll never figure it out. Okay, listen carefully. Here's why. He did it for you. He knew you would enjoy the morning. You would enjoy the evening. You would enjoy the night. He didn't benefit one bit. He did it for you. And the look on their faces is like I turned into a used car salesman. There's always fine print with their spirits. He did it for you. We ran through the events of day number two in the exact same way, making them interact with what God did. Day number three, very hidden, so to speak. God takes the water that's below and he divides it. Remember that? He makes an expanse in the middle. And then he takes the water that remained below. What's he make? Dry ground. Not a big deal to you and I in Southern California. Now, to the Italians that live within and on the edge of the swamps, that's a huge deal. So they hate the swamps. They can't build houses in the swamps. They can't build gardens in the swamps. They don't like working in those, running through the swamps. Uh, if they track a pig and it goes into the swamps, that's it. It's over with. They hate the swamps. So why, you know, and they know that. And here's Goyabi making tons of dry, dry ground from the beginning. Why did God do that for you? Rabbit trail, rabbit trail, rabbit I'm not, <clears throat> man, life's too short. I'm not going to go two more days with this. But I went into the second day, and I'm just, and you know how when you're sharing your faith with somebody, many times you're talking to them, but you're also praying at the same time, God, open their mind, open their heart. And I was doing that exact thing. God, you know, I'm, I'm pushing him to think, think, think. Finally, the same kid who a few years earlier had, had asked me, what are you really doing here? The same kid, Baume, he says this. He, look, he always had this dead-in-the-eye look. But I knew Brad, he did it for us, didn't he? Isn't that right? Yes, yes. And it's like, we're like three weeks into the teaching. I said, that's exactly right. He did it for you guys. And the next day, honestly, they came with a different, different attitude, different atmosphere, like excited. What is this Goyave going to do for us this time? It was like a party atmosphere. We took a whole day on the different rocks that God had made so their lives could be easier. We took a whole day on the different trees that he had made. Uh, we took a whole day on bananas. We took a whole day on fish. We wrote out the names of the fish. They can't read or write. But just to enumerate them, and they could see the amount. Whole day on different pigs. Whole day on, uh, on this. And just letting them revel in God's creation for them. We took a whole day on vines. Uh, yeah, they have a vine that they, uh, gosh, uh, the Tamo, they wrap it around their waist and they can start fires anywhere. It, it's incredible. They, almost underwater. They can't underwater, of course. But, you know, they can start fires in the middle of a rainstorm with that vine that has such tensile strength. Then they have the fireproof vine that cannot burn. They make their fire pits with it. Then they have like the vine for their bowstrings. It's perfect for that. They have a vine they pull down out of the jungle treetops. They wrap it up like that. They put it against a stone in a riverbed and they smash it, and they can follow the poison of that vine for about 30 minutes downriver, just shooting f- fish at their leisure. Why did Goyabe give you all those vines? He did it for us! They're shouting it at me. He did it for us! He's not like our spirits. Our spirits don't even have a hand. Goyabe's hand goes up and around and around and around and around. The first thing we wanted the Teddies to know about God, and there would be four things they needed to know from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The first, the critical element, and I believe most people in the church of Jesus Christ need to understand this and believe it. He's good. He's good. He devotes the majority of chapter 1 and 2 to that attribute. Of, I'm good. Look what I did. I'm good. I'm, I care about you. We never said that to the Teddies. We never told them God is good. We told the story. And they're shouting it at us. 
<clears throat> we taught the story of the creation of Adam, made in the image of God. He could communicate with God. God putting Adam into the Garden of Eden. Man, wonderful uh, food to eat, uh, meaningful work. Nature was on his side. God was his friend. Everything was there for him. And we let them kind of revel in that. We introduced some background information for other stories. <clears throat> and we cut it off on a Friday. And uh, <clears throat> I said, guys, why don't you think about this? Is there anything at all that Adam needed? Oh, no, I wish we could be Adam. Adam had it so good. God was his friend, man. He had enough to eat, and work was good. No bugs were biting him, blah, 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 blah. Well, just think about it over the weekend. Came back on Monday and uh, started with that question. Have you been thinking about that? We've been thinking about nothing but that. We wish we could be Adam, blah, 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 blah. Finally, got quiet. Guy in the back, his name is Wannabe. Wannabe. <laughs> Wannabe in his very nasal voice. Without looking up, Wannabe's about 18, 19. Wannabe says this. Daniel, that's what Obama Santa. Rad, he had no woman. <gasps> that's right, he had no woman. We don't want to be. We don't want to be. He had no woman. We gotta have the woman. The place is just angst. Oh, we gotta have the woman. We gotta have the. Well, you know what do you think he did? We all know what Adam did. He had no woman. So we went over here to one of the clumps of bamboo, <clears throat> tore out a fresh piece of bamboo, tore down a fresh edge took the fresh edge, began to shave down his thumbnail shavings, got his thumbnail shavings, got it all wet in his armpit juice, took the wet thumbnail shavings, put it in the proper vine, tied it with the, put in the proper leaf, tied it with the proper vine, put it down into a fire, got the thumbnail shavings all hot and sticky and steamy, took the thumbnail shavings over one of the young girl's houses, began to rub it up and down on the posts of the house. No, that is not what he did. Because they're all like, yeah, that's right, that's right. And we walked them through the three other ways. Betty Teddies get women. Folks, you're not ready to share the gospel with people until you know how they get a woman and about a thousand other relevant topics. That's how Jesus taught. He knew their culture and he brought from their culture the ways that were relevant to them that would make this message come alive. We shot down all of their ways that he Teddies get a woman. And after a couple of minutes, so what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? What did, he, what did Adam do? Oh, you want to know what Adam Yes. We want to know. <clears throat> He did nothing. He didn't even know he needed a woman. Go, Yahweh, looked down from heaven. He said, it's not good that Adam's alone. I'm going to make him a woman. And he put Adam to sleep. We told the story. <clears throat> Took a rib, fashioned a beautiful woman. And then and I had a cool, awesome speech made up. <clears throat> and I, like now I get tired. And, uh, and God said, take her, Adam. She's bone your bone. She's flesh your flesh. No one else is going to have her. No one else is going to have you. Said a few other things. And finally, I had to take a breath. And the place exploded. No effing way if this is true. He is the ass of all things that are good. There's no one else like him. Brad, shut up. Brad, shut up. We need to think about this. We need to think about this. Some of the young guys were wa- running, walking up to shut off the tape recorder because we always recorded all the messages. <clears throat> we never had to tell them God's good. The book screams it at us. That was the first thing we had to get across to the Teddies. And man, they, his, his character, his love for mankind was just set so high above. Second thing <clears throat> that we felt they had to understand, God sees and punishes every single sin. And so we had introduced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, we would do skits occasionally for things like this. And we'd set up a banana on a twig to be that fruit. And my partner, Ed, he was going to be Adam. His wife, Aggie, was going to be Eve. I was typecast as Satan. And uh, <coughs> Aggie comes walking up one day. 
And she, uh, and the Teddies know, you eat that fruit, you're dead, you're dead. And uh, she's like looking at the fruit longingly. Oh, it looks so good. Oh, I'd love to taste. I'd love to just even touch it. I come slithering up. Hey, you're checking out the fruit, are you? Man, I'll tell you what, it sure tastes good. You ate it and you didn't die? Die, schmai. Not only did I not die, I became just as smart as God. You'll be fine, Eve. Go ahead, eat it, eat it. Oh, I sure want to go ahead, eat it, eat it. She's getting so close. (laughs) Go ahead, Eve, eat it. Finally, they can't keep quiet any longer. Don't do it, Eve, don't do it. He hates you, he hates us, he hates everybody. Don't do it, Eve, don't do it. Eve, Eve, don't listen to them. They're just dumb jungle savages. Listen to me. Oh, the curse is raining down on me. Eve reaches out, grabs a banana, peels it, curses. She puts it to her mouth. The curses go from me to her. She eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He eats the fruit. We took off our acting robes. <coughs> and we stopped the narrative for 15 days. We talked on what happened that day. Their innocent relationship with God was over. Their bodies began to die. And they became subject to the second death. Eternal separation from God. We drew pictures of their mothers and fathers. We had photos of their mothers and fathers. They're in hell. If they could come back, they'd tell you it's true. It's true. They needed to understand the party was over. And became and the challenge at that point there, they have learned previously to manipulate every spirit in their world. You'll never be able to manipulate this one here. And it would take months to divest them of that false understanding. <clears throat> that was the second thing. The third thing was this. God accepts only blood. He had to kill an animal, skin that animal. And they allowed God to put those fresh skinned animal skins on them. That would be the first intimation of blood substitution. They didn't want their figs. They didn't want other things. They didn't want the teddy chants, incantations, magic vines, all the things the teddies do, all the false offerings, all that stuff. Nothing. He accepts only blood, which is taught much more fully in the rest of the Old Testament. And then the fourth thing they needed to understand at that point was God gave them hope. Genesis 3.15, before God kicked them out of the garden, he gave them hope. The first evangelistic message, the asinos afasiamotenta, the helper of all mankind. We introduced that concept to them that God will send somebody to get you out of the mess that you are in. It took us, uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, it would take us seven months to teach through the gospel. Of those seven months, two were in the New Testament, five were in the Old Testament, obviously. Uh, of those five Old Testament Genesis 1, 2, and 3 took us three months to get through. We're building a church. The foundational ideas that would see that church understand his goodness, their losses, the place of blood, and God's goodness in sending a Savior. Those are introduced there. And if they're not understood there, you're going to have to go back and reteach those concepts. Now we're going to get into Genesis 4 through the rest of what we would teach in the Old Testament. We can't obviously afford to go at that pace. We would move from redemption analogy to redemption analogy to redemption analogy. The first redemption analogy is right there in Genesis 3, the bloody skins in the the Garden of Eden. The next redemption analogy, what we would do, we would teach the story so they knew the historic story one day, and then we'd teach the meaning of that story as it helped us understand what Christ would do on the cross. So we taught the story of Cain and Abel, and then we taught the meaning of the story, <clears throat> the uniqueness of blood within those animal sacrifices as opposed to just plant life. And as I'm teaching the meaning of that story, the MIT think tank of the Teddy Nation is sitting over here. 
Um, that's Fo and Sotofe. And Fo and Sotofe were some of the most interesting human beings uh, you will ever have a chance to have a conversation with. Uh, they could talk about how long they could make you die. Okay? Uh, they're both cannibals. Uh, they both killed many, many men before. And a fascinating evening if you're in a house with Fo and Sotofe. <clears throat> so Fo and Sotofe, they're hearing uh, the, <clears throat> the implications of Cain and Abel. And uh, they're, they're getting louder and louder. And finally, guys, what are you talking about? Because like E.F. Hutton, if they're talking, you want to listen. <clears throat> and so uh, I asked, what are you talking about? And Fo looks at me. He says, okay, if that's it, if what God wants is blood, we'll give him blood. We will cut open our dogs and our pigs and pour their blood on our dead people before we bury them. I said, man, Fo, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, we're always not accepting the blood of dogs, pigs, or any other animal blood anymore. No effing way, that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing. So what do we do now? Well, keep listening, keep listening. <clears throat> Making sure everybody understands uh, that he's not taking animal blood and, uh, <clears throat> anymore. And same two guys, not two minutes later. Uh, okay, what, what is it now? Foe stands up, pretty un- uncharacteristic, but he's my father in the tribe. Foe stands up and he says, <clears throat> obviously Goyave is not one to be messed with. If what he wants is human blood, we'll give him human blood. We will split ourselves open like they do when the boys become men. Uh, they split their wrist and they pump spray. Most of the boys pass out during the ceremony. We will pump spray. We will paint our people with our own blood to get them ready to meet Goyavi. If that's what it takes, that's what we'll do. I said, man, Fo, that's, <clears throat> that's really, really noble. Uh, the, the only problem is, Fo, your, your blood infuriates God. In the years I've been here, I stopped counting the girls and women that you've raped. You've told me of five men that you were the first person to put an arrow into them. Um, Your blood isn't going to help yourself out or anybody else. It needs to be perfect blood. Perfect human blood. You guys know what that means by now. Our job is to kick the slats out from under them. They've learned how to manipulate every spirit, and they're listening to this story, for the, by and large, for the first few months. How do we get out from under his wrath? How do we get out? How do we get out? He is the unmanipulatable God of heaven. There's one way to come to him. Broken, lost, at his, on our knees. <clears throat> we told more stories throughout the Old Testament. A uh, story of Sodom and Gomorrah, a uh, story of judgment. The story of Noah, a tremendous redemption analogy. Noah coming to God, God's way. Uh, Abraham offering up Isaac, obviously the outcalling of Isaac, the unique place Isaac had, and Abraham had. <clears throat> Abraham offering up Isaac, just a gigantic redemption analogy there. Uh, yeah, the nation of Israel going down into Egypt. Uh, the blood on the doorposts in Egypt, a huge redemption analogy. Teaching this story and what it meant as we understood what it would help them understand what Christ did on the cross. We're months into it now. Nation of Israel going down through the Red Sea, uh, going into uh, the desert, moaning, bickering, complaining. We're tired of the manna. We're tired of the quail. We're tired of the pillar of fire by now. We're tired of the cloud by day. Finally, God says, I'm tired of you guys. And he sends in the snakes. And uh, the snakes killed thousands of Israelites. And finally, Moses pleads with God, and God relents. And he says, gather together the bronze, pass, <clears throat> fashion it into a serpent, lift it up on a pole. And whoever looks, you come to me my way. You come to me my way. Whoever looks will live. Young, old, slave, free, Egyptian, Jew, whoever. You come to me my way. We taught that story. We're about five months into it now. And uh, next day, <clears throat> next day, they came into the teaching area. We probably started with 120 people. We are down now to about 50 people coming in regularly for teaching. Next day, they came into the teaching area, sitting down. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's talking. 
They're just kind of looking down, blank stares. And I said, guys, what's wrong? No, it's nothing. Guys, is somebody sick? No, no, it's something. Is, is somebody die? No, 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 it's nothing. Guys, I know something's going on. I'm not going to teach you until you tell me what's happening. Finally, the, uh, the village idiot, there's no other way to put it, uh, the village idiot, Utau, he says, uh, we're done planting gardens. He didn't give any explanation. So I, I asked, I'm, I'm caught flat-footed. I asked the worst anthropological question you can ask, which is why? Because most of the time you're going to get because. But I asked it anyway, and it began to pop. What's the point in planting? What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? We saw what God did to Adam and Eve. He kicked them out of the garden. Saw what he did to Cain. He became a wanderer. Saw what he did to the people of Noah's day. He wiped them out in the water. Saw what he did to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Saw what he did to the armies of Egypt. We saw yesterday what he did to his own people, Israel, for their sin. Brad, we know our sin. What's the point of planting gardens? God's going to come for us any day now and wipe us out, every man, every woman, every child. We're never going to live long enough to eat those gardens. Why plant gardens anymore? It had taken five months of daily teaching God's word, and they were finally broken and lost before the holy God of Israel. And part of me was thrilled. Part of me, man, I hurt for these guys. We, we love these guys. We've lived among them for years. And uh, I said, guys, you're, you're right. You're in a precarious position. Uh, if any of you died today, tonight, tomorrow, uh, yeah, the place of fire is real. <clears throat> but you're not saying everything that's true. What you're saying is true, but you're not saying everything is true. Come on, we've told you again and again. God did not bring us here just to tell you about the place of fire. We've told you about the Sinos of Asiamotenta. Tomorrow we're going to be telling you who he is. We're going to begin to tell you what he did. Keep listening. God does not want you to go to the place of fire. Come on, guys. Keep listening. This has not been in vain that you've been listening to this. And again, like a... I hate to keep saying this phrase, but like a tribe of junior hires, it can emotionally turn on time. Oh, that's right, that's right. You know how afraid we get. Blah, 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 blah. And so I had to fluff up their feathers. And the next day, we were able to tell them. <clears throat> and we had woven those four major themes uh, throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> God is good. He sees and punishes every single sin. He accepts only blood. And the Asinos of Asiamotenta. But there were many sub-themes that we had introduced. And one of the sub-themes was God is a plural God. We hadn't, we hadn't told him about the Trinity, but he's a plural being. <clears throat> Just pop that in occasionally. And so we told them the next day, when Goyabe decided to send the Asinos of Asiamotenta, and we let them have a little fun with it. Uh, like, who do you think he is? And so one of them said, Michael Samadhi. No, it's not Michael Samadhi. Michael Samadhi is a <laughs> politician in New Guinea. He takes bribes all the time. <laughs> One guy said the head of New Tribes Mission. No, I know him. He's not, yeah, it's not him. Uh, one said Jim Cleveland. <laughs> and the pilot's name. And uh, it's, just, it's just, they floated. No, 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 no. Okay, listen carefully. You want to know who the one is who came to get you out of your mess? <clears throat> Goyave had a son. And here's how he came. We told him the story. The angel Gabriel going to Joseph and Mary and that whole story there. Joseph and Mary going down to Bethlehem, the city of David. And uh, <clears throat> the census taking and uh, knocking on the door of the hospital, knocking on the door of the motel, hotels. And uh, finally, where was the son of God born on this planet? He was born in the very same place that animals are born. That was so meaningful to them because all the teddies are born in the jungle. There's never been any teddy born under a roof. That's just culturally inappropriate. Jesus was born like them. And where was Jesus raised? Was he raised down there in Jerusalem where people were well-educated? They had access to the levers of power where you obviously want to start something big? No, no, no. Jesus was raised up here in Galilee. The country bumpkins, the guys with the accents. Jesus was raised up there. And when he picked his 12 followers, who were they? 
Galileans. <clears throat> they so identified with that, as we had already taught them so much about the difference between Judea and Galilee, and the, the Galileans having the bad reputation. Who knows what those guys do up there with those sheep? You know, they're a bunch of shepherds, and man, they're a bunch of bad dudes, uncouth, and all that stuff. You know, they got that weirdo accent and everything else. And they, the Italians knew very well where they were on the Papua New Guinea food chain. They're at the bottom rung. Papua New Guinea officials occasionally would come in there, and they'd look at the men wearing penis cords. They'd smirk. They'd look at the ladies just wearing grass skirts, and they'd smirk. Uh, that's a killing offense in the Italian. You laugh at another person, but these government officials had guns, or they had policemen that had guns. Uh, they know where they stand in Papua New Guinea and that Jesus intentionally was born as an Iteti would be born. As, and, and obviously we were highlighting things that would resonate with them. Jesus being picking guys from Galilee, their fellow type guys. We told them stories <clears throat> of Jesus and uh, we would, it was just, just a wonderful time because this is a, they, their hope so quickly began to be invested in Jesus identifying he's going to get us out of our mess. We have no idea what he's going to do, but he's going to get us out of our mess. My partner, Ed, he was always Jesus. We would do a lot of acting. And uh, <clears throat> he'd come to the uh, storytelling area, uh, sometimes dressed with a Jesus robe, and sometimes he'd just carry it with him because it'd be the last 10 minutes of the uh, teaching time that we'd do a little skit. And just having that robe, that, just like, yeah. Yeah, seeing life breathed into the, uh, Jesus casting out demons, Jesus healing the blind people, ca- touching the lepers, calming the storms, raising the dead, uh, feeding the thousands. Uh, I was always a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee, and Jesus would destroy me with his wisdom. Our wives were always disciples. You know, and they, they just love this stuff. <clears throat> I remember, man, we were, gosh, we taught for two months. We were probably about uh, five weeks into the teaching. And some, you know, we had two men's houses in the village. One was the younger guys, probably from 6 till 12, and then from 13 up through old age, you know, which was mid-30s, uh, the older guys. And uh, I've been to both of those houses many, many times. The younger guys, how they're just young kids. The older guys, they would talk about how they raped girls. Uh, they'd take a girl to the jungle for four or five days, what she was like the first day and the second day. And uh, these are brutes. They'd talk about raping a girl like you and I would talk about tearing apart a carburetor, just without emotion, just mechanical. And uh, <clears throat> some of those guys have been coming to listen to the teaching. And uh, so I'm walking back from Inma Sasinu's house and walking back through the village and I'm heading towards uh, the older men's house and I hear voices coming out of there and I realize, man, they're, they're talking about uh, the teaching. And so I slowed down. Uh, one of the stories, one of the tidbits I heard, man, just think, if Jesus was here, Wimo, he could, Jesus could touch your foot. You'd be able to run like the rest of us. Wemo had part of his foot burned off as a baby when he rolled into a fire. Oh, yeah, he did that stuff all the time. Another guy said, man, if if Jesus was here, he could touch your eye. Man, you'd have two eyes like the rest of us. If he got one of his eyes shot out when he was a kid playing with bows and arrows. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just, man, see, hearing the excitement, one guy said this. If Jesus was here, I'll bet you none of our kids would go to bed hungry and crying. We'd lived there now seven years. I'd never heard a man emote over his kid. They just did not do that. Man, I was, I was afraid I would begin to lose it. And so I started moving away. I heard one guy say this as I was walking away. Just think if Jesus is here, I'll bet you our wives would talk to us. They treat him worse than village dogs. And they can't figure out why their wives don't talk to him. I went back to the house. I told Beth. And we realized, man, they were falling in love with the Lord Jesus. They didn't even know he died for them. What an incredible Savior you and I have to save with the world, to share 
My gosh, what a privilege it is that he has entrusted to you and I the message of reconciliation. We've got a great Savior. The world can't even conceive of one like this. They didn't even know he died from falling in love. <clears throat> Man, um, they're at, how, how many more days? How many more days? Uh, two weeks. You know, they're getting excited. You know, <clears throat> eight days, seven days, uh, six days. Um, yeah, uh, finally, five days into it, Jesus comes down from Galilee uh, doing day trips in and out of Bethany. We're acting those things as best we could. Uh, five days, you know, duking it out with the scribes and Pharisees and things like that. A uh, lot of narration going on. Uh, they're hanging on every word, man. The excitement level is just building because they know Jesus is going to do something to get them out of their mess. We've introduced all the accoutrements. We've talked about it quite a few times, what the Romans did to, uh, to criminals. Uh, we talked about whips. They, they didn't have a cultural whip, so we flew in a whip a few weeks earlier so they could all play with it and I got good with it. Uh, we talked about how the Romans put people in stocks, how Jews bury people in tombs. We did all that preceding the last day so that we didn't have to introduce <coughs> any new information. Uh, three days. Teddy said, just so excited. Two days. Only got two more days. Did the whole teaching there. Uh, Jesus does the last supper and uh, he goes to Gethsemane and uh, temple soldiers come up and arrest him. First time anybody has laid rough hands on Jesus. And uh, we took him down into Jerusalem. We cut off the teaching for that day and took off my teaching robe and uh, stood there and said, guys, uh, tomorrow's the last day of teaching. If you don't understand what you see in here tomorrow, nothing of what we've taught you in the past seven months is going to help you. It's really, really important that you understand and you believe what you see tomorrow. So we're going to encourage you, tie up your dogs and pigs because we always had dogs and pigs running through the teaching area. Tie up your dogs and pigs. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to encourage you. You pray. You ask Jehovah God that he would open up your mind. And to this day, I can't give you a theological ironclad argument. Does God hear the prayers of unsaved people? I'll take a pass on that one there. Don't know even now. <clears throat> we would find out weeks later there, there had been teddies on their face in the jungle for hours, begging God, take me out of Asotamo's hand. I don't want to die in his hand. That was a term for die in death. And uh, came together uh, the next day. And, man, our church in San Diego and, Beth, you know, churches that supported us, they were praying for this day. They'd been praying for this day for years. And, uh, man, the excitement, it was just, you could cut it with a knife. And uh, <clears throat> we all got back. And we always started with about 10, 15 minutes of review of what we felt was absolutely critical information. And then we got right back into the narrative, how uh, Jesus was taken in Jerusalem, spent some time down there. Then he was taken before Annas and Caiaphas. He was tried by those two individuals, tried before the Sanhedrin, the slappings, the mockings, the ridicule, <clears throat> punching, uh, the, the robe. Uh, and finally, they, they made a decision, and they said this, we can't crucify him. First time that Jesus and crucifixion were in the same set, uh, sentence. What? Take him down to Pilate. Pilate can crucify him. He stood before Pilate. Pilate mocked him, tr you know, tried to get out from under it, but couldn't do it. Sent him up <clears throat> to Herod. Herod toyed with him like a cat with a mouse. Send him back down to Pilate. Pilate announces to the Jews, I see no fault in him. Crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on our shoulders, on our blood be upon us. And uh, man, by now the Teddy's like, what? It, it's just incongruous. How can this be? And finally, Pilate consents and we took Ed and we had a pre, that day we had pre-ripped his robe and uh, put some baggies strategically in there because it was going to be a hard day for Ed as we crucified him. Uh, took him out of Pilate's courtyard area, locked him into some stocks, and I was the assailant. Stood back with the whip, and I was pretty good at it. Bam! 
One real clear snap of the whip across his back. Busted his robe open. Bam! I wasn't going to do it. Three. The teddies are shocked. Three times. A lot of fake blood, some real blood. Took Ed out of the stocks. Had a uh, cross all made. Walked over here. I was narrating as we walked over here to Golgotha. We had pre-dug a hole. Had some stones and some sticks that we'd tighten it up with. Threw the cross down. Threw Ed on it. Nailed him through fingers here. Uh, the the Teddies already knew they actually did this here. Then we tied him with, with uh, vines. And we had some Teddies help me hoist them up and chunk them down in the hole. They're stunned. They're speechless. How does this help us? Put some rocks and sticks down in there, tightened it up because he'd be up there for a few minutes. <clears throat> and uh, I start swearing at him like they swore at our Savior. Teddies are shocked. Jesus said a few things. I put a, a ladder up there. Uh, we didn't nail the placard up because I couldn't read anyway, but we crushed down the crown of thorns. Real, you can't fake that one, so there's real blood. Ted, Ed's just hanging there. He said a few more things that Jesus said, and he hung his head and died. Took a spear, shoved it up into his robe where we had one big baggie that thankfully had not popped yet. More blood and water coming out. Pretty big visual there. <clears throat> I said a few things. Then I had some of Teddy's help me get him down off a cross. Uh, wrap him in a sheet, take him over here to the tomb that we'd made. Just silence. Put him behind a sheet, lower the sheet in the tomb. I came back to the teaching pulpit, and uh, I said maybe 40 seconds worth of stuff. They were so stunned. I didn't want to say anything super important because they, they, they're, they're in shock. They're just in shock. And so I'm kind of killing time for about 40 seconds, and, and, and they're looking at me. And then, boom, Ed comes coming out of the grave, blasting through the sheet, alive, well, healthy, over to the pulpit, said a few things, gave the great commission, and then we did our best imitation of the ascension, which was pretty bad. (laughs) We had to just inform them what actually happened that day. And Ed came over here and sat down with Aggie and Beth. We all had our teaching robes off. We're just sitting there. I said, guys, that's it. That's it. If you don't understand what Jesus is doing on that cross, there's nothing more we can tell you. But think back now. Think about what was God teaching us through the coats of skin in the Garden of Eden? And we had taught that story so many times and referred to it, the coin terminology surrounding it. What was God teaching us through the difference between Cain and Abel's offering? Took about 15 seconds per redemption analogy. What about the, what was God teaching us through the story of Noah? What was he teaching us through the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. At that point there, I could see something going on in some of their heads. We continued on, the blood on the doorpost, man, going out through the Red Sea, man, the serpent lifted up. Think on those things and think of what you've seen here today. And when you understand what Jesus was doing on that cross, when you understand what that blood was all about, you come up here and you tell us. We weren't going to tell them what to say. They would have parroted anything we told them to say. They would have raised their hand. They would have flown through the air backwards if we'd have told them to do that they'd do anything we asked them we wanted to know that they understood what jesus did <clears throat> i went over and sat down with beth and ed Nagy, and, and uh nothing you can do the message is done we, we we were all praying not like gyrating we were just praying there's no books but written on how to do that day and probably sat there for about 15 six i don't know maybe 20 seconds and noticed the guy who slowly stood up <laughs> And I thought, maybe he's going to come up and talk to us. That'd be great. He stood there. He just stood there, just stood there. And I'm not looking directly at him, but I'm watching him just standing there. And he's not coming up to us. He's not going to the bathroom out in the jungle. And finally, 
he just tilted his head up. And he said as loud as I'll say it now, Ebio! First time in the history of the universe, and he, Teddy, has ever called his spirit Father. Father, I get it. Father, I get it. That's the blood we've been waiting for. That's the perfect blood that makes it so I don't have to cook and squirm in the fire below. You did it all. You did it all. We didn't do anything. And he stood there and he was shouting and shouting. Man, we're bawling our brains out. And another one stood up. And, and everybody, no, everybody did not stand up. But within a minute, there were about eight of them standing there just shouting and shouting and shouting and shouting and uh, shouting their way through the gospel. And uh, finally, a few minutes of that, a couple of minutes of that, somebody figured out maybe we should tell the missionaries. And so they started walking and then they started running up to us. The first thing out of their mouth, Brad, don't you get it? Brad, don't you get it? And I was like, guys, I taught you that like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> We stood there for nearly an hour hearing testimony after testimony after testimony. They knew nothing else, but they knew the gospel. They knew that what Christ did on that cross paid for their sins, and they could call the Father, Father, for the first time. Um, like I said, we stood there for about an hour. Finally, we went home. We were wrung out, and uh, <clears throat> one at a time, two at a time, uh, the Teddies, they, they came over to the house, and explained to us what Christ had done on that cross for them. And folks, like I said, on that day, they knew nothing of theological extensions. But on that day, they could explain the gospel as clearly as anybody in this room. They knew the unique sacrificial work of Christ. Uh, things, <laughs> things were changing quickly. Hour by hour, they're, they're changing quickly. Uh, 22 people that day uh, gave testimony as to what Christ did on the cross. They, they became a force in the village. They started coining terms. We're the children of God. They're the children of Satan. <laughs> and uh, so they're not working and playing well with the rest of the tribe at this point. Uh, they've decided that they're going to do chants to Jesus. They're going to have a sing-sing for Jesus and God. Oh, my gosh. They have no way of doing nothing but triple X sing-sings, okay? And I'm like, oh, gosh, but I better be there. And so they kick out the owners of the largest house in the village. And the followers of Jesus, they take over the house for that evening. And the men in the middle going clockwise, the ladies going counterclockwise. And they do chants to Jesus. <sighs> Jesus, 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 God, 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 you're better than doing this to a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, Jesus, God, 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 you're better than this part of the woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, we have such a long ways to go. <clears throat> they, uh, we, we began to teach them uh, through the book of Acts w w what happened. And uh, this is probably about three months after uh, they had accepted Christ as Savior. And the group was growing numerically, not every day, but on a regular basis. We got to the story of Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, <clears throat> we got to, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to be baptized. And they, they finally, at the end of the lesson, like, hey, Brad, why haven't we been baptized? Guys, I've just been waiting for you to ask. Because there's so much confusion. They have so many spiritual animistic practices that are very similar. So we took a day to teach on what baptism was and what it wasn't. And then we, uh, <clears throat> we announced to the whole Itedi nation, the followers of Jesus are going to have a baptism, which is like followers of Jesus are going to have a blah, 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 blah. It's a meaningless term. But anyway... About 120 of them lined on the riverbank there. As one at a time, they came down. Ed and I 
put them under the water, baptized them after they shared their testimony and what they understood. Finally, the last guy was Wemo. And Wemo is a saint among saints. Uh, what a man of God. Wemo gave such a clear presentation of what he had understood of Christ's work on that cross. He comes up out of the water. Ed and Wemo and I are walking out of the water. It was like an avalanche on the side of the river. I kid you not. At least 40 of these guys running down into the water. We don't understand what these guys have been saying. You've got to teach us again. Got to teach us again. So we did. We walked through the gospel again, having the Etedis help us. That was the last time uh, that we shared the gospel. From then on, it was in the Etedi people's hands to share the gospel. Our job was to teach the church, teach the church, do the translation. What a privilege. What an honor. I'm so grateful for a youth pastor who didn't play by the rules. I'm grateful he used the guilt card. Go ahead, guilt me up. He knew the hardest step is the first one, to get you out of the blocks. After that, the word of God might keep you going. And he did. He, he just guilted us like crazy. He challenged our manhood. He challenged our salvation. He challenged everything about us. Uh, one of the other privileges was, man, seeing our kids see this happen. All of our kids were home at the time that all of this was happening. And for our kids to see the difference before the Etedis understood what Christ did and after. Do you know that situation of the rape? Within six months, rape was unheard of among the Etedis. Because everybody got saved? No. But the moral force of the Etedi believers. Um, our kids were really impacted by that. Our, our oldest son, Brooks, uh, he came to me when I was, he was a junior in high school. He said, Dad, I want to come back and do the same thing. I said, well, that's great. That's just great. But you know what? All you know is Papua New Guinea. Go back to America. Hitchhike for a year, build houses for a year, go to college, get a piece of paper. Yeah, I really don't care. Just get away from this thing. And if God keeps this on your heart, then come on back. He came back and he got a great education. And uh, we're back here in the States ourselves by this time here. And he calls me up one day and he says, uh, Dad, uh, uh, I think I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've done the American thing. It's not that hard. Uh, I want to go back. I said, that's great. You do what the Lord's telling you to do. He went in the next day, a couple days, and he talked to the uh, CEO of North American Operations of this company that had hired him. They were paying him real well. And uh, he gave him uh, the 90 days notice, and uh, they offered to double his wage. And uh, he came home. <clears throat> he told me that evening on the phone, he said, Dad, they're going to double my wage if I stay. And I'll be honest with you guys. I'm thinking... I'm this poor old missionary. I've got nothing, but I've got a rich son. Praise God. Jehovah Jireh. <clears throat> I wondered how you'd do it. And I, half of me is jumping up and down. The other half is don't be bought off. Don't be bought off. And he had a godly wife, and they uh, gave their notice, went through training, went back to Papua New Guinea. Uh, he already learned. He knew Melanesian. Um, she would have to learn Melanesian and Yembi Yembi. And so we're going to uh, show you a, a clip. Uh, I know you saw a clip this morning. This one here actually is much previous to that. This is when uh, they started literacy. They uh, you'll commence with uh, the building of the house that they taught literacy and then the gospel. And uh, anyway, just watch the video and give me maybe two minutes after, and then I will be done. Great are you, Lord, mighty and strength. You are faithful, and you will ever be. We will praise you all of our days. It's for your glory.
I once was lost now I'm found Once was lost But now I'm found So far away But I'm home now Once was lost But now I'm found And now my life song sings I once was blind Now I see Once was blind But now
most of us in the room here are not of an age uh, to be going to the tip of the spear uh, to complete the Great Commission. We have a, we have a different task in this. Uh, some of those tasks are this. We work till we drop. We give as much as we can away. We find people in our church who are of the health and are of the makeup that they can actually go and be a first-hand participant in completing the Great Commission. We raise our kids differently. We raise them to be expendable for our king and our grandkids. We do not quietly manipulate to have them living on the same street as us. And I know that uh, firsthand. Uh, I won't get into the separations that <clears throat> have been my wife and I's. Uh, because heaven's real. Heaven's where we retire. Heaven's where we get our reward. That's where we rest. We work till we drop, folks, to see our Savior's last great command to us, his people. There's no super race out there. We're the ones, you and I. So we put it all on the line. And, uh, man, it's incredible to, to teach 63 students down there at Radius this year uh, that understand we're expendable. We're expendable for our king. He's worth serving. He's a good God. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we're doing lots of stuff on the church today. Uh, is it really pointed towards seeing the Great Commission? We can be active in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying the activity is evil in and of itself. But it does, if it doesn't have a linkage with seeing the Great Commission, every tongue, tribe, and nation, we do need to put it under the microscope. Why are we involved with this? Why are we putting money and energies into this? <clears throat> it's not all bad. It's not bad at all, I dare say. Um, you guys remember in the first video we showed this evening, this afternoon, uh, we had that airstrip. Uh, that airstrip uh, was a lot of work to build whatever. Uh, but because of all the rain we had, we had to have two big drainage ditches, one on either side of it. And one, the ditch on the far side was real sandy. We dug it one time and it kept itself clean because uh, it just, you know, didn't have any obstructions. Uh, the ditch on the house side where our house was had a lot of big boulders, huge boulders that we just couldn't get out of the way. And because of that, it didn't drain well. And because of that, the moss and the, the, the grass and the kunai and everything and you know, all kinds of stuff just would clog it up. And every few months, I'd need to hire four or five Teddy men and uh, go down there with the worst job I've ever had in my life, and that was to clean the ditch. And uh, because you had razor grass coming in, you had conda coming down, you had leeches by the you know, hundreds, and you had mosquitoes by the billions. And by the time you were down there four or five hours, you were a cut, bloody, swollen mess. It was a terrible job. And did that for years until a really, really cool thing happened. My little boys got big. <clears throat> and the ditch became my boys' job. And uh, they would come home from the boarding school, and we'd go hunting. Beth would make pizza or, you know, tacos. And we'd just have a great time uh, that first night they were back from the boarding school. And then <clears throat> sometime in the night, I'd, evening, I'd tell them, hey, boys, tomorrow's ditch day. We hate you. You're the worst dad in the world. Blah, blah, blah. Bile and venom. You know, just, oh, you're the dad from hell. You know, you'd go to CPS if they were here. You know? And uh, yeah, whatever. Cry me a river. <clears throat> Next day, I'd get up and uh, I'd go into the room. They had these bunk water beds and I'd shake them. Ditch day. You suck. We hate you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was the same way. But you know, the funny thing was, I would, I would come back to the house about 11 o'clock, get a cup of coffee, whatever I was doing. And I never came back to the house that morning, found my boy sitting around saying something like, Dad, we, we prayed about the ditch and we just didn't feel led. <laughs> oh, yeah? Dad, we went down and we visited the ditch. No, 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 no. Dad, we took a course on ditch digging. Dad, we sang songs about the ditch. We shed tears over the ditch. You know where I'm going. 
We're doing so much stuff. We feel all the empathy about the ditch. And I, again, I know that we're not all in a position to do this, and this is a church vetting process. Who should do this? But are we sending our best and brightest? Are our best and brightest stepping forward? Are we preparing families to say goodbye to their sons and daughters? Are we doing this? Are we serious? Do we think our father doesn't know? He's, he's not an idiot in the sky. I just gave you this command, and oh, well, it's okay. I didn't really mean it. That we have a loving father that's watching us, and he knows why we're doing what we're doing. And whatever sacrifice you or your family pay to see his great commission, it's not mine, it's not this church's, it's his great commission that he left behind. He really does want to see a church in every tongue, tribe, and nation. And the privilege that will be ours to expend the rest of our enemies' energies to see his agenda accomplished, it'll be worth it. It'll absolutely be worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you have committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And along with that is the privilege of being your ambassadors here in San Diego. And yes, to those 3,100 language groups that have nothing of your message of life. Lord, bless this church, the efforts that it's involved in to see your message extended. Continue to raise up young, healthy men and women that are capable of doing this thing that will say no to themselves and what they could so easily do here. Lord, and they will step forward for your purposes alone. Use this church and many other churches in Southern California, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.